as an afterthought, they accepted to open source it, but at the beginning, it, uh, it would have been difficult to accept. So from my pure technological point of view, I think if I could have done it open source right from the beginning, I would have done, uh, have mm. done that. All right, we're back with another episode of the Cold Star Project. It is the end of the year, 2019. Thank you for being here. This is Luc Maisonope. He's from Communications and Systems CS, French company. And I wanted him on because uh, my friend uh, at the uh, University of Texas at Austin, Marie Baja, uh, mentioned Oracit in, in his interview with me. And I said, oh, what is that? <laughs> and I went to look it up, and there's a lot of good factual uh, information on the outside of the site at oracit.org. Uh, and I went looking for some folks at CS who were connected with uh, Orkit, and one of them said, no, no, you really need to talk to Monsieur Luc Maisonope here, who is the father of Orkit. And so, uh, fortunately, Luc connected with me, and here we are. So, I have lots of questions about Orkit. Thank you for being here. Thank so, you. <laughs> you bet. So to begin with, and, and just so that our viewers know, our listeners know, uh, Luke is in, in France and I'm in North Carolina, so there's a bit of a delay. <laughs> We're six hours apart here. So how did you come up with the idea for, for Oracle? Well, it, it started, uh, it, it did not start exactly uh, immediately as an open source project. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, at the very beginning, it was back in 2002, and uh, at that time, uh, the company I worked for, CS, was uh, already uh, developing ground segment for decades at that time. However, uh, due to the political uh, part on, the, um, on our customers, uh, the uh, intellectual properties of our, uh, the project we did develop was transferred to our customers uh, immediately after we, we, we developed them. So uh, in order to answer to for tenders to international calls for tenders, we did not have any assets at CS that were our own and we could mm. provide to this international call for tenders. So we were obliged to ask to our uh, former customers for a license for the previous existing development that we already knew uh, because we did, did develop them, but the prices they asked for were uh, <laughs> nowhere near what uh, the market expected for such, mm. uh, for such development. So uh, we lost several uh, call for tenders due to the too high price for the, for the small part for the supply dynamics. So we decided that uh, we had to have our own assets for flight dynamics and started to develop it at that time uh, in order to have an internal asset for us, not a product, but something internal. However, after a few years, so it, it started in 2002, after a, a few years, uh, the project was quite interesting in us and we said, we changed our mind, we said it can be a product, we can uh, use it as an, a, a new product for, for Flight Dynamics. And we uh, tried to, to market it. Uh, it was not a, sec a, a commercial success because it was just the, the new kid of the block. It was, it was something new, not flight proven at that time. It is now flight proven, but at that time it was not flight proven. And so in order to ensure that the product was uh, gaining momentum, uh, we decided uh, to open source it. 
because it was not the product itself that was most interesting for us. We are an IT company. We are providing mostly service, not product at that time. And uh, so we decided to open source this part. And this could help the product to be accepted by uh, stakeholders. And we decided to use um, a business friendly license, which is an Apache uh, license uh, in order to help uh, this product. This was how it started. And it was open sourced in 2008. So six years after the, um, the very start of the development. Okay, and we skipped a very important question that I assumed our listeners would know, but <laughs> we should explain what ORCID is and what it is used for. ORCID <laughs> <laughs> so, right, is a spaceflight dynamics mm -hmm. library, so it deals with trajectories, with measurements, with orbit determination, propagation, this one. It is the low layer of a flight dynamics system, and it helps people to build on top of this low layer to build a complete flight dynamic system, an operational flight dynamics system to, um, for station keeping, for mission analysis, uh, anything related to flight dynamics and to geometry in space. When you are dealing with satellites, at some point, you have to know the trajectory, and this is where our kit uh, is used. Okay, and excellent. <laughs> yes, excellent. And I love the governance model. That was one of the most fascinating things from the outside looking in. And uh, yes, Dr. Jaw liked it because he does not like to remake the wheel, reinvent the wheel. If something already exists and it has the data and it's functional, then he likes to absorb that into the system that he's created. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what kind of technology was required to build ORCID. You have this idea, it takes six years to come around to the idea of, okay, how can we make this work uh, as, a, as a viable product? It's not in the wheelhouse of the organization, CS. We have to go open source here with the model. What else is required to, to create this thing? In fact, it is very low level, so it does not depend on a lot of things. Mainly only two things, which is the, the Java language, the Java platform, classical uh, Java standard edition platform, and a mathematical uh, library. This is all that is needed in order to develop. Uh, to develop. When we decided to, to select this kind of technology, remember it was back in 2002, uh, we decided to, um, to, to try new, the, what was new technology at this time and keep, um, which was gaining momentum also in the space industry for other parts of the space uh, segment. The, the control center were developed in Java with new technologies uh, at, the, at that time. And we decided to kick away the old Fortran language, which was still streamlined for, uh, for fly dynamics at this time. And this, uh, this selection was done because even at that time, it was already difficult to find engineers coming out of school and knowing about the, the Fortran language. And our customer asked us forever. New, uh, new students coming out and knowing uh, Fortran language, it was simply impossible to, to have. And also, these new languages, uh, since the industry likes uh, the Java language at, uh, at that time, it was, again, we had a lot of tools uh, accompanying the, the language. So you have debuggers in the uh, integrated development environment, testing, quality checks, uh, coverage, uh, everything that is now mandatory for any uh, industrial 
and um, reliable development was already available. And it was not in uh, Fortran. So we decided to throw away Fortran, go to, to Java and its, uh, and its ecosystem, its, uh, its traditional ecosystem. And for the mathematical library, we switched between three different libraries during the lifetime of, uh, of our kit. Now we are using what is called the Hipparchus uh, library, into which I am already also <laughs> involved in the development of this open source uh, mathematical library. Okay, at Fortran really takes me back. Um, in, uh, <laughs> in 1992, 1993, I spent a lot of time in the lounge of the Computer Science Students Society at Simon Fraser University. And Fortran was something we discussed in there. Uh, it was used in a lot of um, automobile traffic control systems at the time. And so I can see how that ended up over in this area, but then saying, nope, <laughs> you know, this, is, this is old. And it was pretty old then <laughs> in 93. So by the time 2006 comes around, uh, you know, I can imagine, like, no, <laughs> let's come up with something else. So my next question is one of those yeah. ones that, yes, is maybe right on the line of uh, security questions. So you don't have to answer it if, uh, if it doesn't make sense. But I'm curious, you create this this basket or this container for uh, information about flight dynamics, where does the data come from and how do you enter it into that system? Uh, in <laughs> fact, data is the most important problem in our kit and validation data mainly. Mm. Since our kit is a computational library uh, for the operational, uh, classical operation, people bring their own data into our kit. So they build their system on top of our kit and they use their own uh, orbit determination, their own, everything is, belongs to them. However, inside our kit, there are some internal data that are used, for example, for physical models. And also, we did use validation data during the development in order to validate what we. Uh, what we were making, and this was quite uh, quite difficult uh, to get. We have to uh, rely for the physical model on published papers and uh, publicly available uh, models from uh, great uh, international uh, research uh, and universities. And also, but published papers mainly does not include uh, reference data and test cases. So <laughs> we have to do with a very few data we have at that time. We also have to beg some <laughs> industries, some, uh, some agencies for data, but uh, we are still waiting for this data. Mm. <laughs> In fact, nobody uh, provided uh, us data. With one exception, a very important exception, which is uh, focused on the part that we are currently developing in our kit, which is a navigation part with the GNSS. And in the D GNSS world, there, are, there is a huge amount amount of data freely available, extremely accurate data due to the IGS, the International GNSS Service that provides everything free of charge to everyone, which is very, very good. So it's uh, for GNSS, we have all the data we want. <laughs> for everything okay. else, we have to, <laughs> to beg. <laughs> right. And, I I see this problem. Uh, we have a data science machine learning side to our business. Same problem. Uh, very, very difficult to get data. The trust 
is is difficult. So thank you, GNSS, because without that, it seems ORCID uh, would not have as much, nearly as much data to work with. So uh, Coldstar is a process engineering company, and so I'm always interested in uh, in the process management and that. Is there anything you would do differently now, looking back from a process perspective, if you could go back to the beginning and do it all over again? Uh, I think starting Orekit as a closed source, an internal and closed source project, and only later on, six years later, going open source, uh, it was not a mistake, but it, it really hindered the, the development of the, the project. At that time, it was not a mistake. And in fact, we would not have, uh, the, have had the authorization from our business, uh, from our manager to open source it directly. As an afterthought, they accepted to open source it, but at the beginning, it, uh, it would have been difficult to accept. So from my pure technological point of view, uh, I think if I could have done it open source right from the beginning, I would have done, uh, have mm. done that. And in fact, we now have an example on um, a sister project from our kit, a library, another li open source library, which is called uh, Ragged, mm. which is a geolocation library for image processing. And it is used in the Sentinel-2 uh, project. All images are processed uh, using Ragged. And Ragged is based on Ragged. And when it was started in 2015, it was directly started as an open source project because we had at that time the experience from Orikit. And now it was um, natural for everybody to say, yes, we are going to, to, to do this, this uh, development, uh, go open source right from the beginning. It was the, the, the good thing. And from now on, I would say, if you can uh, develop something that is mainly for a low layer, part where you will not have a value added uh, that you can market, low layers should remain uh, as, um, as free and as open as possible so that everyone uh, uh, can use it, even your competitors. And you add value on top of this mm -hmm. part, but the lower part should go open source right from the beginning. I think okay. it's, uh, the main interest uh, I have seen and uh, the main thing I would do now. Hmm. And more people put more energy into it, yes. You can't afford to be second best. You need to be first and that requires speed. Now, if you're thinking that growth is supposed to be slow and steady, frankly, the way I was taught back in the 90s in the operations management and business administration programs, you are too slow. We have to adapt and in space, it's no different than anywhere else. People like to think they're special in space, and it is fun, all the stuff we get to work on, but business is business. The fundamentals nowadays are conservative growth is not good. You need to run as fast as you can and risk outstripping your supply lines, which means in our world, using up the capital that we've got. That's a risk, but there is no prize for second place. There certainly is no prize for third. If you want to scale operationally fast, come talk to us at Cold Star Tech. We are the process experts for scaling fast. Now back to the interview. Will Orakit evolve into a different kind of application over time as data and, and usage goes up? You know, we're going to have more and more launches, more and more satellites, more and more data. 
has anything unexpected come up as as the program has grown? Uh, I think the Orekit ecosystem will evolve, but Orekit by itself, the, the focus and the, the domain, uh, the coverage of Orekit will probably remain slightly, uh, slightly the same. It is already, I think, uh, good enough. But Orekit is not uh, intended to be a, a complete system for everyone. And you, <coughs> it's not an SDK, it's not uh, something like that where you can put it and you have already uh, everything. It is, uh, a building block for other people to build their uh, to build their own drum system. So this uh, this coverage is probably good. However, on top of uh, of Orikit, you can add more application or different type of application. Already, a lot of users are adding their own uh, system on, uh, around uh, Orikit, and we also we have added Ragid for the imagery. Uh, we have some uh, mobile application for various uh, for various purposes. Also, CS uh, has uh, just launched uh, recently Orekit as a service, mm. which is um, which allows people just to connect to a web service with uh, with a REST API or with a browser if they want to do orbit determination prediction. And so, this kind of application, web application, uh, full flight dynamic system in a control center, mobile application, this kind, this will appear. New system like this will probably appear. But the Orekit part uh, will probably remain just the library, the core library that is used and is reliable and used by a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, who share this, uh, this, uh, this layer. This right, layer. right. And yes, and I should remind people, go to orakit.org and read on the front page uh, who is using this thing because governments and, and large organizations are using it, uh, educational institutions. It has been well adopted. So you have an, a, a, an open governance model. What does that mean? So it, uh, this uh, governance model was inspired mainly by the Apache Foundation. Uh, I mm -hmm. came from the Apache Foundation. I am a member of the Apache uh, Foundation. And uh, this, uh, this kind of um, governance model says that people coming to the project at the beginning just as user, and we don't know them, mm -hmm. then they become contributor because they contribute to the forum, they ask questions or they answer questions. And as you uh, get more involved into the project, you get more merit, you gain merit from the, from the project and the peers the project uh, accept you and your contribution and you you gain this uh, merit and you gain uh, um, power with this uh, merit and at the end you get uh, the, the next level after contributor is committer so you gain uh, right access to the git repository and you can develop and uh, push your own code directly before it is reviewed it will be reviewed after the commit uh, by the by the peers and the next step will be a project manager committee. So you have a, we have a project management committee and the PMC members are the people who decide about release or decide about new committers or decide about the roadmap of the project. Currently, the project management committee has, if I remember well, 11 uh, people from uh, various parts, from uh, European Space Agency, from Naval Research Laboratory, from Airbus, from uh, Thales Aerospace, from uh, 
universities in France and in uh, the US, uh, from uh, Swedish Space Corporation, NCS, uh, of course, is also a member of the PMC. So we have, uh, the, the governance is not limited to one company, even if the one company that created it at first has a, an important role, we are not the, the only one. It is really open, an open governance with uh, people who can decide we are not the, the only one and the governance is shared among uh, all these entities. And it okay. is good. <laughs> yes. So that gives us an idea of how work is figured out and whatnot. Have you ever had to say, or, or has the project management committee ever had to say, no, we don't want to go in that direction or we don't want to develop that kind of capability? Uh, it, there was one time a no, but it was not for a, a definite uh, forbidden uh, thing. It was only because at one time we, um, we proposed to include a feature into a repeat. And it was in fact too early and it would, would have a broken uh, uh, compatibility with the previous version. So uh, this feature had to be uh, postponed to a major version. And one of the PMC members, Ivan Ward from Naval Research Laboratory, in fact, uh, did say, no, I don't want this part to be included in this version because it will broke, uh, break uh, compatibility. And this will uh, be a problem for, for most users. We want to break compatibility only on major version. So the PMC did its, uh, its work and he, he noticed this problem that we did not notice before on. So we remove this feature, publish the version, the minor version, and reintroduce the, the feature in the next uh, version. So the, there are no political uh, decisions that say completely no, but technical decisions sometimes say uh, beware about this, uh, this kind of uh, evolution. Okay, that's very interesting. How about... Um is there ever any work that uh, nobody is jumping to do, but it needs to be done, and so we have to assign it to someone? Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> we have some uh, some parts that we want to that, that we are not working on uh, today because mainly the project is driven by the user. By the mm -hmm. developers are the main users, and so they have their own priorities. Mm -hmm. And there are some parts that have already been identified but are not priorities for any of the current developers. So these parts are just pending, and we hope someone will, uh, will help them. We will probably, uh, in, the, in the Forge, we will probably put some um, notifications, some, uh, some hints uh, with uh, help welcome on this each, uh, features. If people want to dive into, uh, into a racket and want to help, uh, want to, to have their name, <laughs> <laughs> displayed for, for, for posterity <laughs> into our kit. They can, uh, they can develop new features for, for us. We are contribution are always uh, welcome. Okay. <laughs> so, so we put it up there. Please, we need to develop this capability. Hopefully, someone will become excited about it. <laughs> that at some point, you won't be able to progress in that direction unless someone does. So, Something should happen. <laughs> That's very good. What, what has been the most surprising thing about having the, the open governance model? So, the, um, I, I will put it, the governance and the community together. There are two sides mm. of the same uh, aspect. And uh, on the, I would say, community uh, part, what surprised us a, a lot 
is that at the very beginning when we decided to open source uh, Orekit, we saw that uh, the agencies and the institutional um, entities will be the more uh, driving forces for the project and will mm. help the project to go forward and they will be uh, helpful to convince commercial competitors, our own competitors to, to help and to contribute because we expected the competitors to be more reluctant to this open source uh, thing. And it was the exact opposite that happened. The competitors, the first important uh, contribution we get was from a direct competitor from us. So uh, we did not expect that. Hmm. Very, very and interesting. I cannot explain yeah. why. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, very good. Well, Luke, thank you very much for joining us today and explaining about Orkit. Uh, it's been very enlightening. I've enjoyed it a lot. And uh, I appreciate you giving up some of your holiday time to do this as well. <laughs> it is the very, very end of the year. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Good thank time. you very much, Luke. Hey, this is Jason Canigan, the host of the Cold Star Project and the founder of Cold Star Technologies. I've decided to do something new. I've started doing daily update videos on who I met and what I learned the previous day in the space field. And it's a great sort of follow me thing. You can learn what I learn. I'm meeting a heck of a lot of people and learning a lot of things really fast. And the space field is really disparate. There are tons of nooks and crannies to go into and explore from legal, operational, you know, regulatory compliance and gosh the end customer who would have thought about that right so you can sign up for this if you go to coldstartech.com slash msb that's short for make space boring the mission we're on then you can sign up and in your email you will get a daily notification that the new video has been posted I'm also thinking about doing some branded mini courses and summarizing papers as uh, I'm able to. So those will be some goodies that are in there as well. So if you're interested in that, go to coldstartech.com msb and join us on the mission to make space boring. <laughs>